Welcome, listeners, to a realm where shadows dance and whispers echo. I'm your host, Rick Clifton, and this is Quills and Chills, the podcast that brings you face-to-face with the masterminds behind the macabre. In each episode, we journey into the minds of horror writers and filmmakers to uncover the secrets lurking within their tales of terror. From classic tales to modern nightmares, we'll traverse the corridors of the human psyche and unravel the threads of dread that keep us turning the pages or sitting out there in the dark. Welcome to Quills and Chills. Hello, and welcome back to Quills and Chills. My name is Rick Clifton, and today we are talking to debut author Nichelle Giraldis about her new book, No Child of Mine. Now, Nichelle is a self-proclaimed reader, writer, and triple Leo, and I'm going to have to ask you, Nichelle, to explain that. And you're also a Swifty, I hear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yay for Tay. That's awesome. <laughs> So what is Triple Leo? Explain that, please. Yeah, so that is, that's my Zodiac sign. I'm actually not, like, super into the Zodiac. My sister is my younger sister, and she was, like, doing my whole, like, birth chart. And all of my, like, big three, like, the top three things are all in Leo. So. Ah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I've had my charts done a couple of times, but I could not tell you what they are. I could not remember, so I could probably. Yeah, it made it easy there. for me that they all match. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Easy peasy. Well, before we dive into the specifics of this amazing book, uh, I want to get to know you a little bit. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, absolutely. So like you mentioned, this is my debut novel. I've always been a reader. And then during the pandemic, I was like, you know what, I am going to try my hand at, at writing. And this book kind of sprung up from there. I, in my my day job, I work with kids. I teach math to students in middle and high school. So very different kind of ends of, of the brain, math on one side and books on the other. I love both of them. That's great. A numbers person. I love that. So, and a writer, a numbers and words person. As <laughs> All right. As a lover of horror myself, I always ask this question of everybody. I would love to know, how did you come to horror? How, what was your pathway, your gateway in? Yeah, I think my initial gateway probably was like back when I was in like, I think I was like a freshman in high school. And my mom is also a huge reader. She's a teacher. So she's like, I grew up around books and I was like, Oh, I want to try something a little scary. And I hadn't read like any Stephen King. I was, you know, fairly young. And she was like, Oh, you should try Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. It's not one of his scarier ones. And <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. It kept me up. I slept the lights on for like two weeks. It scared the crap out of me. And it was kind of like my first introduction. And I've, I've, I'll read anything, but I've always been drawn to kind of those, the scary stories. And that's always been something that I've continued to kind of, to read and sometimes watch. Although I would say I'm a bigger reader of horror than a watcher, but I like to dabble in, in the TV and the, the movies occasionally as well. I, I'm probably 50-50 books and, and movies and TV myself. So I loved Pet Cemetery. I thought it was great. thought it was scary. <laughs> I also thought it was very um, scary. <laughs> But the one that terrified me by Stephen King was without a doubt Cujo. I that just something. It was more so- psychological than anything, I think. But it was just absolutely horrifying to me. So yeah. 
So speaking of Stephen King, are there any specific uh, authors or maybe even experiences that sort of helped influence your interest in horror? It sounds like your mom might have been uh, uh, a <laughs> big influence in a way. Yeah, definitely my mom. I mean, I think you have to, if you're writing in horror now, I think you have to reference Stephen King. He's just such a, like a mammoth in the, in the industry. I also have been really loving, I read this memoir actually that was told using like horror tropes and things uh, by Carmen Maria Machado called In the Dream House. Absolutely stunning memoir. And I just loved the way she used horror. And that was kind of, I read it like pretty shortly before I started my book. And I loved the way she kind of used the like haunted house genre. Speaking of the haunted house genre and how that's been used. I think also Mike Flanagan's work, The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor were like huge inspirations. I think he did such a gorgeous job combining like horror with these like deeply emotional and like heart wrenching stories of like family and community. And I think that's when horror like really shines is when you have that blending of, of like deep interpersonal stories as well as like the spooky, scary things. That's great. I'm actually going to take that and check it out. I have not read that, so I will definitely check that out. And Mike Flanagan, oh my God, <laughs> so good. Have you seen uh, Follow the House of Usher yet? I'm in the middle of it. I'm like, I don't want to like okay. rush through it. I'm trying to, <laughs> to savor it, <laughs> but I've watched the first couple episodes. Oh, it was, an, it was so good. I actually had to go back and I decided to go back rather and watch uh, The Haunting of Hill House. And now I'm on Bly Manor again, yeah. so yeah <laughs> for sure for sure all right well let's talk about this amazing book no child of mine i is it darcy coates from who's a usa today best-selling author says that no child of mine is equal parts a ghost story and a tale of what we are prepared to do for love and i'm going to tell you when i got to the end of this book i was like i 1000% agree with that quote. No doubt about it. So it's been out for a while, a few weeks now, right? I think early September. Yes. Congratulations on the release. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. How was the, the tour? Have you, I'm sure uh, you probably finished the tour by now, right? Yeah, it was a small tour in Colorado and it was a good time. I went with another source books author who's actually a friend of mine who had a book that came out at the beginning of October. And it was great fun to kind of meet people and meet a lot of booksellers in, in person and, and chat about spooky things in, in the month of October. What what can exactly. I ask for more than that? Exactly. You can't do better than that. What great timing. So, yeah. well, tell us a little bit about this book. I'm going to let, I, I could rave about it, but I'm going to let you do it. So tell us a little bit about the book's premise and a little bit about what inspired you to write it. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of similar to what Darcy said. She did such a beautiful job. I'm so thankful for her for leaving that little blurb for us. But it is equal parts ghost story and love story. <clears throat> when I started out writing it, I actually didn't realize it was going to be a horror novel because for me, it was more about these relationships at the core. And then the ghosts started to come into play. And, you know, once you've got ghosts, things quickly, quickly spiral from there. But we're following the story of, see, this young woman who's in her final year of law school. She's just moved into um, a house with her husband, the first house they bought. It's an older house. And she quickly finds out that she's pregnant, which is something that was like not on the table for her, not something she was looking to do at any point for a lot of reasons. One of which being that there is this history within her family of after the first daughter is born in these families, the uh, fathers of these daughters tend to die. So there's this family curse that's gone back generations. And so we are following things as things start to unravel in Essie's own life, both with the pregnancy and her husband and strange things happening with the house and nightmares. And we also get to follow the story of two women living centuries before that and kind of get to see how this curse has 
affected people for many, many, many generations. It's it's so funny you brought that up. It's actually a question I had and a comment too. You do a wonderful thing in the book that I love where you do time jumps back and forth use between the two time eras between Essie and Isabel and sort of how they I, I'll try not to spoil it but how they how those two yeah. stories sort of connect and intertwine at the end I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you sort of came to or approached that storytelling device yeah that was something I wanted to do pretty early from the time I got the idea because I was so fascinated the curse was kind of like the the foundation we have this this thing that has been happening for generations and I really wanted to explore kind of its origins and explain why this would befall this family and kind of getting to work with Isabel in the past really allowed me to explore that and you get to kind of come along on that journey with everyone as we kind of uncover the curses roots and beginnings and that was something really important to me because I think a lot of times with with curses typically there's something that is the impetus for them something that causes them and I am always fascinated by kind of the the why behind the the spooky thing that is that is happening so the book obviously delves into some very complex family dynamics, you know, with the curse and, and all of this. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the core themes or the central themes that you're exploring and the relationships in that story. Yeah, I think I really wanted to explore definitely themes about love and what we were willing to, to do and sacrifice for the people we love. And I also really wanted to have some conversations around the, the role of women in these dynamics. Um, Essie becomes pregnant and her life drastically changes because of this. And I think one of the great things about having these dual timelines is we kind of can see how, how easily Isabel, who's living centuries before, obviously we feel very comfortable with the fact that she's in a position where she has less control over her life. Like that's something we know about women historically is they had less power over, over a lot of choices that had to do with their their lives and their livelihood. And I think very quickly we see that mirrored in Essie's own story when choices continue to be stripped away from her by things that are happening to her. And I think that is something I really wanted to focus on was the the parallels of the lack of choice and the dynamics that creates and the tension that creates between in someone's own life and the frustration that can create when choices that you once had are stripped away from you. I thought you did a really wonderful job with that, by the way. It really, I took notice of it right away and I, I thought it was really well done. So it was one of my favorite aspects of, of your story is is the parallel between the two and uh, how much they uh, were alike and also different at the same time. So, Awesome, thank you. We have to talk about the title. <laughs> I love the title of the book. It's the first, obviously the first thing that I noticed, No Child of Mine. It's very, very intriguing to me. It actually conjures, and the artwork too, conjures quite the image. So I wonder if you talk a little bit about how you came up with the title and sort of how it relates to the story itself and all of that. Yes. I think for me, the title is a very collaborative process. I did a lot of work with my editors and kind of my whole team to work on a title. I, when this book got picked up, I had like a, a working title that was not at all attached to. So I was very excited to kind of like brainstorm and come up with something better. For me, No Child of Mine kind of relates both to Essie and this this thought that she doesn't want to kind of participate in this curse by, by having a child and then kind of gets roped into it. And I think later it also relates to Isabel and on a storyline as well. Although I don't, I don't think I'm going to talk about specifics there. I think because it's yeah. a little bit later in the story. <laughs> yeah. 
no, yeah, I get it though. I get where you're going. So <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, fantastic. The artwork is very reminiscent of with the with the baby carriage and the house and all of that. It's very reminiscent of Gothic horror as well, which yeah. I thought was really fantastic. So I love the artwork. Wonderful job. <laughs> so and talking about the house and the fact that this is a it's a ghost story, it's also a little bit of a haunted house story, more of a haunted family, I guess. Yeah, but I wonder if you could sort of talk about the setting of the book, because we are in two different timelines and two different eras. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the settings and sort of its significance to that story. Yeah, absolutely. How- I think the haunted house like as a like a, a concept was something I was really drawn to when I started writing this because I think the haunted house very quickly can become such a beautiful metaphor for kind of a family and the domestic life in this place that is supposed to be kind of the safe place you go back to at the end of the day and so when spooky things start happening when you have ghosts when you have things that are not typical happening in your house I think that can become very scary very quickly because where do you go to retreat from from something like that um and so I really wanted to play with the house and also the sense of isolation. You mentioned talking about the cover that it is reminiscent of a gothic horror. I was definitely really inspired by some of those like gothic classics. And I think the house is obviously a, a, a setting that we see again and again in those sorts of places. And so it was really important to me to have this house. And as we get later and later in the novel, Essie becomes more and more isolated in this house. And so it becomes almost a character in itself of a place that she once was a refuge like they're moving in they're so excited at the beginning of the novel and then it becomes like a prison by by the later part of the novel where she's feeling very like trapped and isolated in in this house so it was important to me to uh kind of show the dynamics there between those things and then in the past we are much we have a much a kind of wider setting I guess because the the story itself that takes place in the past is taking place over the course of many many years and we get to see where kind of the girls grow up and then where they live and I said it kind of in this this past that's fairly vague like I didn't give a lot of details about exactly where they were located or the like time period they were in and that was on purpose I wanted to create a sense of something that was so far in the past that Essie wouldn't have like a direct recollection of it. It's not like her great grandmother where they have a direct story. It's just this this distant past that is that almost is like living within almost like a fairy tale esque type setting. In that it was like a long time ago, things were different back then, but it is left fairly vague because I didn't want to connect it deeply to any point in history where we could see that that like tangible word connection where she would be able to be like, oh yeah, my great great grandmother. This is what happened to them. I want it to be kind of an unknown. I think that also serves, for me, it also serves Essie in the sense that she has decided, you know, that she's not going to participate in this curse. And there's enough distance between that, that, you know, she just doesn't believe in it. And yeah. neither does her mother either. I, if Sorry, I don't want to give spoilers, but I, <laughs> I don't yeah, know if that's no, a spoiler they, though. So. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely really important to me because yeah, if they were too closely connected to to these origins, obviously they would be probably a little less uh, able to be like, oh, it's just like a weird thing that happens sometimes. Right. Like, no need to worry about it. Right, exactly. It gets explained away by time. So. so what was the most challenging or let's say probably the most emotionally resonant uh, part of writing this book for you, especially as a debut author? Did you have any moments where you're like, oh my God, this is too much yeah for me the storyline in the past was was harder for me to write at points at points it was easier the the letters themselves were some of the easiest thing there's a a 
lot of letters that go back and forth between Isabel and, and Anna throughout the past timeline. And those were very easy to write, but there are some moments in those women's stories that were very difficult for me to write. They were hard to go through. And the ways in which these women are, are trapped, I think was often difficult for me to write. And then kind of the ending overall for both, for all, all three women for both storylines became both challenging to write as an author just to make sure it was like cohesive and, and did a good job, but also difficult in that I wanted to, you know, there is, I think, a temptation to want to like save everyone and figuring out how to, how to do that or who to let go. And that I think was the most difficult, difficult part for me. Well, you say that because my, my next uh, question was about characters and, you know, often when I'm reading something, we all have favorite characters that we all connect with, you know, and I definitely have my favorites in this book as well. And I'm wondering, which is your favorite character? I'm going to make you choose. Which one was your favorite? <laughs> I think my favorite character of the three women, because I would say Sanjay is my favorite character overall. He's just like a very lovable guy. He's like pretty easy to, to love. But I would say of the women, I would say I like Isabel the, the best. Feel, I feel bad saying my Essie's, <laughs> <laughs> you want to offend Essie, but I found her, she has this sense of like optimism within her that I, I found really compelling and really like likable and enjoyable to, to write. I 1000% agree with that. Isabel was my favorite as well, especially given the time period and as, as you know, as confident as she was and how, you know, how much she was just going to she was not going to accept things that she that she was being told this is the way it is it was not the case for her at all so yeah I agree with that I want to step back to something you said about the letter writing because for me that was also a very one of my favorite parts of the book as well the letters not only the letters between Isabel and Anna but there are other letters and I won't say what but there are other letters that come up too and I just found like what a great aspect of the story that you drop that in it's just they were they were really very poignant and touching I thought so thank you for that <laughs> so um all right let's talk a little bit about being a debut author in your journey to publication so you said this was a uh, pandemic project and I was wondering if you might be able to give us a little more sort of insight for first-time authors that are coming up in the wake any advice any any anything you would offer as a suggestion to getting them on the path to getting their getting their own books published yeah, absolutely. So like I mentioned, it was a pandemic project. I started writing it. Well, I got the idea for it in January of 2021. So kind of in that second big wave of the, the pandemic and worked on it throughout the year, really kind of focusing in that summer. And for me, it started with an idea. Um, so like I said, the curse has always been like the seed of this. It hasn't changed. That was the initial inspiration point. I knew exactly kind of what I wanted from that. And then from there, it was kind of figuring out the whys, like why would this have started? How would it affect people in figuring out kind of the, the characters surrounding that initial point? And then, I mean, the, the first draft is really just like sitting down and writing. And so it took me a couple months to get through a draft of this. And then from there, I actually did a draft, edited it, and decided to participate in a like Twitter pitch contest for authors who were like aspiring to get their books published. It was the first time I had ever done something like that. And I do have to like compose like a little tweet that like pitches your book. And my editor actually... I actually have two editors on this book. My editor saw it on Twitter and asked for the full manuscript. I sent it over to them. And like two months later, they 
we're like, we want this book. And so it was kind of like a whirlwind of a publishing journey, like very like Cinderella story type thing. Where typically I think I'll spend a lot of time querying and then going on submission. And it's a very long process full of a lot of rejection. And that was not my journey. I had like truly like the fairy tale sort of experience where I got picked up right off right off the bat like the first thing I had done with this book I actually had planned to do another round of edits before I like queried it sent it out and so I got picked up from there and then I did pretty intensive edits with my editors it was about 30,000 words shorter when they bought it so it grew a lot in that process and they've done a ton of work to kind of help me shape it into the, the story it is today. Michelle, that is fantastic. Congrats. That's awesome. <laughs> the power of Twitter, man. I'm yeah. <laughs> so, real quick, before I forget, I want to talk about the dedication in front of the book. I absolutely love it. It is fantastic. Do you want to share with the audience what it is? Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, I say this first one is for me. And for me, this because this is like a pandemic project, I wrote it like completely by myself in like all the ways that you can. No one in my life knew I was writing a book. Um, no one in my life knew I was writing a book until I had a book deal because that happened like so quickly, which was, you know, I, I think a strange thing for like everyone. They were like, oh, okay. And so it was something that I wrote for myself kind of above all, I didn't have any, I mean, you always kind of have like vague notions, like what if this gets published one day, but mostly I like wrote it for myself. I wrote it because I had this story in my head and I like wanted to know the ending. And the only way to get there was for me to write it. Right. Exactly. I love that. It's fantastic. And I love the dedication. It's one of my favorites I think I've ever read. So, so what message or experience are you hoping that readers will take away uh, from No Child of Mine? Is there a specific impact or emotion uh, that you hope to leave them with? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I hope people take away from this is this dedication to some people we love and, and this idea of, of sacrifices and also fighting for things for yourself. It's it's kind of like a balancing act, right? There, there are definitely sacrifices that characters make, but also there are things that they have to take for themselves. And I think that balance is a very difficult one to find. And I hope that, that readers see themselves reflected in some of these characters and are able to kind of take some comfort in the way that they they do kind of push back against some of these things and also the way that they then at the same time are sacrificing things for the people they love. So Nichelle, the book is out. We're all loving it. What else are you working on? I am currently working on another horror novel that should be out late next year. Um, and I've been calling it my spooky woods book. So where this first one, we had kind of a haunted house. This one, we've got something going on and that we've got like a haunted forest situation. Well, I'm a fan, so I will be looking for it. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> last bonus question. I ask this of everybody. Uh, it is not related to the book. It is just a random question that I ask everybody. So get ready. You're asked to write a short horror story on the fly. What three random words do you choose to put in that story? I would put, let's see. I would put dark, you have to put dark, cold, and creeping. <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> well, the book is called No Child of Mine. It is available everywhere. And as we always say, please, please, please support your local bookstores. So please go pick it up in a bookstore if at all possible. Uh, Nichelle, thank you so much for talking to us today. How can our audience find you on social? 
Yeah, so I am over on Instagram and TikTok at Nichelle Geraldus, just my full first and last name. And then I am over at Twitter, although despite the fact that I got picked up from there, I'm not very active, at Nichelle and then G-I-R-A. Perfect. Great. I do appreciate you being here. And for all of you out there, we will see you next time. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Quills and Chills. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the mysterious and the haunted. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to support us by subscribing on your preferred podcast platform and leaving us a rating or review. Because your feedback helps keep those chills running down both our spines. And feel free to share the show with your favorite fellow horror enthusiasts. Also, if you guys have any spooky stories, strange encounters, or paranormal experiences of your own, I'd love to hear them. Reach out to me on social media or email me at quillsandchillspodcast at gmail.com. Who knows? Your story might end up on a very special episode. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I will see you back here next time on Quills and Chills. Bye, y'all.